All right. It is Friday, July 9th, 2021, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm Rose Patrick Auger, and today we're going to talk about the UFC's new sponsorship deal with Crypto.com. has huge ramifications for the promotion as well as the fighters, and we're going to talk a lot about the business of how that got done, why it was done, and the fighters cut, or rather lack thereof. We're also going to talk about pay-per-view buys versus online streaming, especially going into a big fight week with McGregor versus Poirier. I've seen, you know, a lot of chatter about illegal online streaming and how much that hurts the UFC. And I just want to do a little bit of a refresher course about really how that affects the UFC's bottom line, because so far what we've seen a lot of people talking about, they think it's a major hit to the business. And and we've got to kind of clear some of that up from a business perspective. Then we're going to talk about Verdict MMA closing on their seed funding round. The Fantasy MMA app is the official app of the PFL and now has raised $500,000 with investors like Ben Askren and others. We'll break down what that means for both the sport as well as a company like Verdict and where they can maybe go from here. And lastly, we'll talk very briefly about Dana White confirming something we talked about on this podcast last week in regards to UFC 265. So we'll have timestamps at the bottom as always. And with that in mind, let's go ahead and dive right in. All right, so first thing I want to look at is the UFC sponsorship deal with Crypto.com for $175 million over 10 years. So first we'll break down the terms of the deal, then look at it from the UFC's perspective, and then look at it from the fighter's perspective, because I know a lot of people are up in arms about the fighters not getting a cut of this. So in terms of the deal itself, Crypto.com is a crypto trading platform, essentially. They have other products as well. They have some NFT stuff, but... um, you know, kind of think of it as you would any other crypto trading platform, whether that's Coinbase or, uh, you know, some of the other wallets, Binance, things of that stuff out there. Um, that's my understanding of it, at least. I'm not an expert on crypto. I, I, I will be upfront about that. But from what I've read and looked at, that's essentially what this is. Um, in terms of what the deal itself does, This will be the first ever global fight kit partner, which means that it will be every UFC athlete on their Venom kits will have a Crypto.com logo or insignia, something of that matter, including Conor McGregor at UFC 264. So it's no coincidence that this was kind of announced right before a major fight because for Crypto.com, that's a huge get to debut on a Conor McGregor fight card and get Conor McGregor to walk out and wear your, you know, logo is always, always good marketing. So makes sense why they announced when they did. Um, If you look at the kind of dynamics here, why this makes sense in terms of a deal, Crypto.com, obviously cryptocurrency has has gained a lot of popularity. A lot of fighters have talked about crypto. Ben Askren's a big one. Rory McDonald famously said he wanted to get paid in crypto. Um, And and crypto is kind of newer and and reaches a younger audience in terms of, you know, younger millennials, Gen Z, that type of age range. Probably know about crypto, probably at least heard of it. Might not trade it, might not get involved, but it's in that space. So that shared demographic with where the UFC wants to go after the 18, 49-year-old, right? That's the the golden demo. Um, 
and and then you've got cryptocurrency. It, it makes a lot of sense. In fact, from an article here at Sportico, uh, UFC COO Lawrence Epstein is quoted as saying, in general, that consumer is younger, consumer of, of crypto.com. And based upon the data that we've seen, that consumer also has a fair amount of discretionary income. It's an attractive group to try and get interested in your product. Key words right there. That consumer also has a fair amount of discretionary income. It's true. A lot of crypto, there are studies that are out there about, um, you know, crypto users do tend to have a little bit more discretionary income. That's part of why they're they're buying crypto. Um, that, that's a big key factor in this because obviously the UFC wants to attract a younger audience that is going to have a longer, you know, life cycle of a customer and have the discretionary income to buy things like merchandise or tickets or pay-per-views. Makes all So just from a, a high level looking on paper type of situation, th this partnership makes a lot of sense. And it's not surprising the UFC has done this. Remember that a while back, a month or two ago, um, when Lawrence Epstein did an interview on, I forget the exact podcast name, you can go back and check the Fight Business podcast episode where it's mentioned. Um, but he did an interview talking about, you know, the UFC's future roadmap plans. Uh, in there, he talks about UFC Africa being in 2023. He talks about sponsorships. He talks about cleaning up the image of the sport so that it looks nice for broadcast partners like ESPN, right? We, we harped on that a lot, that a big reason that they took away fighters' individual sponsorships and made the uniforms all uniform, man, I'm getting old, making puns, uh, is that it was done so broadcast partners like ESPN, Fox, or whoever would like the product more. And Epstein even admitted when you ended up paying out the discretionary pay from, say, a Reebok fight kit or a Venom fight kit um, out to the fighters, as well as different fees and things of that nature, they weren't really making a lot of money. And I do believe that, at least for the Reebok kits. Venom, I think they might have made a little bit more. I think that would have been part of the negotiations when the rights came due. But for Reebok, I, I think that was pretty break even given on the expenses that came and the fighter, you know, payouts. But the whole point, again, at that point was to attract a broadcast partner like ESPN. That was really where they were going to make up that money is, yeah, we break even here and we we make them look look nice and clean up the sport so that we can sign a bigger broadcast rights deal with ESPN, which they successfully accomplished. So looking at this from a, you know, perspective of, okay, great. They, they've now gotten crypto.com on their, their kits. Is, are they making a little bit of money? Not a lot. This is, this is something that I brought up on that previous podcast and has, has come true where with all of the extra space 
On the Reebok fight kits, on the Venom fight kits, there was always room to add more sponsors. But if and when they did, they'd have to work it out with the apparel provider, aka Venom in this point. And I and I imagine Reebok probably would have been harder to get this deal done with because they're such a bigger company and their relationship with Adidas, all of that. But they'd have to work it out with the apparel provider as well as they'd have to figure out a way to make it worth their while because it was surely going to ruffle some feathers. And here we are, $175 million. And the fighters itself don't get a direct cut of that. It's not like the Venom compliance or Reebok compliance pay. It's $175 million that goes straight to the UFC. Now, the UFC has mentioned and Crypto.com has stated that they are willing and committed to working with fighters on an individual basis. But that's about, you know, the same as fighters working with Hans Molenkamp in Monster, right? You have fighters who have individual Monster Energy sponsorships. You have fighters that had individual Reebok kit sponsorships. Those are few and far between. All 550, 600, whatever the actual number is right now, fighters on the UFC roster under contract with the UFC are not going to get individual crypto.com sponsorships and payout tiers and all that. It's not going to be that type of scenario. And so let's look at this from the UFC side before we look at the fighters point of view. For the UFC, Again, this this is amazing. This is the type of deal that was always on the table if they could find the right partner. And getting that extra $175 million, you know, is is amazing. It's very, very good. Um, when you add into that, you know, some of the deals that the promotion has signed with DraftKings, right? With the new DraftKings clock, that was like $100 million. Um, and and some of the other sponsorships they've lined up. It's, again, helping those revenues grow and come from stable, fixed revenue sources. The, the beauty of these types of deals is $175 million over 10 means $17.5 million a year. And that money is pretty much guaranteed. There are ways the contract could be broken, some things could happen, sure. But for the most part, that's guaranteed $17.5 million, whether you've got Conor McGregor headlining or you've got, you know, Jessica I headlining, doesn't matter. That's that's just money coming in. And this is goes back to the shift that the UFC has done from the old days where they were so heavily reliant on stars and pay-per-view buys. They have completely done a 180 and they've done everything they can to get rid of variable revenue. It's all about fixed income streams. This is another one of those. And I wouldn't be shocked if they are also looking at shopping out other parts of the Venom kit to other sponsors. Because they can do that. That is the beauty of having a uniform code is they own the deal with Venom 
they get the sponsorship money from crypto.com or anyone else they're willing to sell the rights to. And they don't have to really pay much for it at all. I mean, pretty much nothing. I'm sure there's some, I'm sure there are costs involved. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm sure there would be costs in terms of adding the logo to different Venom fight kits, all that. There's, there's, there's costs involved, but they're, you know, nothing substantial. And they're offset, easily offset and written off compared to the revenue that's being brought in by the deal. This is is good business on the UFC's end. This is great business. This is the type of stuff you love to see if you're in a corporate world, right? That That's a win for the company. And also keep in mind, when I talk about the company, I'm not talking about the fighters. They are viewed as independent contractors and they are treated as such. Internally, though, marketing's got to be thrilled about this. You know, the C-suite, VPs, directors, all of them inside the UFC have got to be beyond thrilled because this is just extra revenue. Endeavor has to be extremely excited. That's more revenue to help keep them afloat while they're still dealing with their stuff. It's it's a good business tactic. And it's good business. Now, I know some of you out there, as well as, you know, people that don't listen to this podcast but care about fighters' rights are gonna say, no, that's that's wrong. That's you know, fighters should get a cut of this. This is ridiculous. From a moral standpoint, we can, we can go there all day. We can have that discussion. But from a business perspective, if you are the UFC, this is great business. This is what somebody, if somebody negotiates this deal and gets this done, if somebody brought this to, you know, Hunter or to Lawrence Epstein or who have you and said, hey, man, I, I, I've got something lined up. I think we can work this out, get a sponsorship. This is This is the type of deal you get a promotion for. Easily. It's it's a huge deal, a huge win internally for the company. From the fighter's perspective, that's where things get much, much, I don't want to say worse, but yeah, worse. <laughs> um, you know, if I'm an independent contractor with this organization, I am now seeing... The, the equivalent to this would be is that, let's say I'm an independent contractor at, I don't know, Dell, right? I'm, I'm an independent contractor working and, and helping project manage some things for Dell. With that, I get a certain amount of freedom and rights, including the ability to, you know, use by my own computer and you know, basically advertise my tools and techniques that I bring to the uh, the firm. So if I've developed a patent way or a patent system of how to do project management, right? Say I've developed a whole new Patrick Auger project management system. I can bring that in and use it and kind of advertise that and show that off and say like, look at how good this is and and pitch that to, you know, not only internally with Dell, but also to 
Dell's clients, let's say, right? They, they're they cool with me working. If Dell has an external client that I'm going on site for and I'm working through them as an independent contractor, I can kind of pitch them my own product and say, yeah, by the way, here's my system. Or maybe it's not my system that I've made. It's, you know, a system that my friend has made and is paying me to go out and pitch to, again, internally to Dell, but also to other external Dell customers. And I'm allowed to do that. And now let's say over the course of several years, Dell policies changes and, and they say, you know what, we, we've got we to gotta change the way we're doing stuff. We've got to lock down computers. We're going we're gonna to give you set machines with that. And, and we've got to use these systems. And we have to use these systems. And that sucks because I'm not getting paid to, to either sell my friend's product or I'm not getting paid through my own product. And, and, you know, possibly making connections to sell my own product. No, I, I'm not allowed to now. I'm not allowed to sell those things or talk about those things or what have you. And now, fast forward another couple of years, not only am I not allowed to do that, now Dell has an exclusive partnership with, you know, the, the a, a big project management firm or a weird project management firm uh, that's developed their own system. And now I have to sell this to external clients. I, I This is not only are, are, am I using this internally, I now have to pitch this to external clients. I can't, couldn't pitch even just my stuff before, but maybe they hear about my stuff or they like me enough and then we have a side conversation. No, now I am actively required to pitch this stuff to external clients. And again, forgive me, my metaphors are always very goofy, but hopefully that makes sense in terms of, of a relatable type scenario here or semi-relatable type scenario with what UFC fighters have gone through. Whereas they were allowed to be, you know, able to sell and pitch their sponsorships and, and get sponsorships that made them money and allowed those companies to get advertising to, through the UFC as a conduit. Now, instead, it's the UFC is saying, yep, here, we're doing all this and you're not allowed to get any money from it. The most you get is a computer, right? And in, in my example is I, I get a free computer from Dell. So cool, I don't have to use my own stuff. And if it breaks, they'll fix it, all that stuff. But I don't get to get cash in hand through selling, you know, sponsorships or selling my my friends' products. In my example, it that's essentially what they've done. They've slowly walked that back and and stripped back that advantage. So fighters got to be pissed. It's one thing to say, "Hey, we're locking stuff down, and you've got to be uniform and all this." It's another to now say, "Hey, yeah, we said we were making it uniform and we wanted to do all this, but now we're actually picking a sponsor." that we're okay with, and oh yeah, you're not getting any money from it, but you can work with them directly, right? Like that's what it comes down to. And I think a massive part of this is the UFC is at a point where I think they've shown this a little bit in the past couple of years. I would say 2018, 2019 is when I've, I've really first started to notice it, but even more so 
I think they have run the numbers and finally reached the point, and Endeavor has, has reached this point as well, where they realize just how far ahead they are of all the competition. I think they finally understand and and have the numbers to back it up to feel confident in the fact that they don't have to really worry about any competitor threats. They are in such a lead right now. And I, I think that's part of the reason you see them letting go of some of the fighters they let go of. Why you see them make these bolder moves that are, are going to anger fighters and going to cause dissatisfaction amongst their roster. But where does their roster go, right? The lower-tiered guys, sure, they can go over to Bellator, PFL, or one, or where have you, but that doesn't hurt the UFC. They have several farms, uh, whether it's LFA, whether it's Contender Series, whether it's Eagle Fighting Championships, they have multiple farming grounds to bring new people in. If you get into the mid-tier, okay, maybe you lose some of the lower name value guys, right? Some some guys that aren't chasing the belt yet or aren't exactly on the rise, um, but are well-known names. And they can they can do better over other promotions. And sure, that's, you know, doesn't help the UFC, but it doesn't really hurt them that much, especially as they've gotten more fixed revenue. Top tier guys. They're the ones that are going to get individual sponsorships from Crypto.com, and they're the ones that are going to have trouble replicating their salary in other promotions because there's no competition that can really give them that same amount of salary. I mean, if you do PFL, sure, you win the whole thing, you get a million dollars, but you know Bellator is going to pay, but not like the UFC's top tier is going to be paid, and there's only so many spots in Bellator too, where, you know, Bellator can't sustain ha taking, say, if, if you took nine or 10 of the number one guys or, or champions in the UFC and went over to Bellator, I'm not sure Bellator could sustain paying out those salaries if they were to match, right? Maybe they could, and maybe they'd, they'd just kind of eat it, but it would it would hurt them far more. Let me put it that way. It would it would definitely hurt them much, much more to have that cost on the books compared to the UFC. So what can a fighter do, right? You, you can complain. You can say this sucks. You can try and negotiate a sponsorship with Crypto.com individually and hope you luck out or you are able to smooth talk your way into a good sponsorship. But other than that, you're just left again with nothing. Um, I think probably the best thing you could do if you were that disgruntled is join the new antitrust lawsuit filed by Cajun Johnson um, and, and co. Because that enables you to say, look, they say I'm an independent contractor, but look at all this. 
And and whether or not that is resolved in the UFC fighters' favor is, is still f- way, way too far off. That's the other thing, is any remedy to the situation is years and years off. There's not going to be any immediate remedy to this type of behavior from the UFC and fighters being upset about it. And there's not much else they can do. It's what the UFC has built. Giant conglomerate behemoth that is now owned by Endeavor, which is an even bigger conglomerate behemoth, although levered instead of, you know, super profitable. Um, and, And trying to win a battle against that any size battle is is always a long drawn out process always right you you don't have if somebody sues apple for something you you don't get judgment summary judgment in in a couple months or or a month it's usually years and years of long, drawn-out processes and getting the, the case on the books and all that stuff. I mean, we're still waiting on Judge Boer's... I mean... We're still waiting on the official order for class certification. The, from the original class action lawsuit. It was filed in 2015. 2015. It's crazy. So that's all you can really do as a fighter. The only other thing you can do is you can attempt. You might get fired for it. You might not be able to pull it off because other fighters won't join you. That's the quickest resolution outside of joining a class action lawsuit. And and it's a, a crappy situation, but that's what it is. It's there's there's not many other options. And again, it's hats off to the UFC's business brilliance in this case, because they went from having fighters getting paid for individual sponsorships for which the UFC took no money to getting a uniform deal, which did pay out to the fighters to kind of make up for the loss of their individual sponsorships um, and, and ended up break even, but positioned them into a better long-term spot with a broadcast partner to now having that same position where they've, they're probably making a little bit money on the Venom Fight Kids as is. Not a ton, but a little bit. They they got their ESPN deal, so that's all set and good to go. And now they've just got $17.5 million a year from a sponsor that they picked, and they get to keep pretty much all of it. It's really good business strategy. It's as simple as that. They found an area where they could exploit, and then they, they did it. And that's, there you go. All right, the next thing I want to talk about here briefly is pay-per-view versus online streaming. 
seen a lot of people. I saw a meme out there uh, or maybe a TikTok that was like, yeah, I complained about fighter pay, all this, but then, oh, goes on and streams, illegally streams UFC pay-per-view. Kind of blew up. Uh, and a lot of people were like, yeah, this is true, man. This is a big thing. Just as a refresher course, which, mind you, if you're a long-time listener, long-time watcher of this show, I know you're probably good with this, but it's always, it's always good to refresh the fundamentals, right? And if you're new to the show, hopefully this makes sense to you and, and kind of opens your eyes a little bit if you're not thinking about things this, this way already. But when it comes to pay-per-view revenue and pay-per-view buys, Keep in mind that in the old way of things, as I talked about with the variable revenue, pay-per-view buys made a big difference. If, you know, 70,000 people illegally streamed UFC 100, yeah, that's a big deal. That, That hurts the bottom line of the company. That subsequently trickles down into fighters trickles down into headliner pay-per-view buys. Yeah, it's a big deal. If 70,000 people illegally stream, and and let's make it, you know, I don't know, 200,000. Let's do that. That's a more significant number. 200,000 people illegally stream. Let's not say UFC 264, because that'll be in the millions. But let's say... I don't know, UFC 265, right? Card coming up afterwards. That hurts in that particular card since no one is technically a champion and won't get pay-per-view points other than Nunes. But in the I think that's I think she's the only champ on that card. So that hurts Amanda Nunes. That's it. If 200,000 people illegally stream UFC 265, that hurts Amanda Nunes. That only person it affects. And keep in mind, I'm not saying you, you should go out and illegally stream and hurt Amanda Nunes, but the UFC has a deal in place with ESPN, a set amount of money that they get per pay per view. ESPN gets hurt in a sense, right? But they're, I mean, they, they they do get affected by that. And you could argue that it hurts the UFC indirectly because their broadcast partner would be very unhappy if they found out it was 200,000 people illegally streaming, right? But, but beyond that, the UFC is left pretty much unscathed. In fact, the UFC business side of thing, there is a firewall now. And that firewall is ESPN. So they are completely unscathed. You could have a million people illegally stream McGregor versus Poirier 3. And it would hurt Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor and every other fighter with pay-per-view buy points in their contract on the card. And it would really hurt ESPN. I don't know about really, but yeah, probably really hurt ESPN. But the UFC business side, yeah, they lose out on the money that they would get past the ceiling that they've established. 
with ESPN or floor rather, not ceiling, the floor that they've established. But they're they're fine. They're still getting a ridiculous amount of money to put on the show. Yes, would they like more money? Sure. But from their side, I'm pretty sure they're still that show is still profitable. If you if if everyone illegally streams, not everyone, but if if you're left with two or three hundred thousand buys for Poirier versus McGregor three, legitimate buys, UFC still makes a profit, I'm pretty sure. Maybe not depending on Connor's base, but it'd be close. It'd be close. I'm pretty sure they would. Thinking through it in my head, I'm, I'm almost positive they would. They have changed the way they do business. And a lot of people do not understand that. They are not a variable income stream business anymore. And and in a realistic fashion, right? Yes, you're probably going to get, I don't know, like I'd wager maybe a couple hundred thousand illegal streams of UFC 264, but I mean, it, it's it's a drop in the bucket for them. Now, and, and I know Dana says, yeah, we're coming after the streamers. We're doing all this stuff. I'm sure ESPN probably says like, hey, this is an issue that we need your help with. And other people are saying, yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. But the, the, but the UFC is fine. And the fighters, it doesn't affect them either way. I, a lot of people underestimate pay-per-view buy points. And, and that being in contracts. A lot of people think you made a event a pay-per-view or you're co-made in a pay-per-view, you get pay-per-view points. That's not true at all. Donald Cerrone has talked about how he didn't get pay-per-view points fighting McGregor. Davison Figueredo was the champ, legitimate strap holder for flyweight. Didn't get pay-per-view points fighting Brandon Moreno for their first match. The second one he did because he negotiated it in between and he talked about that. There are very few fighters that have pay-per-view points in their contract. Derek Lewis and Cyril Gaunt, I, I, again, based on what Dana said, he he semi-confirmed it. The interim belt holder will get pay-per-view points, I believe is what he said. Neither of those guys are the interim belt holder yet, meaning that they won't end up with UFC 265 pay-per-view points. Only Nunez will, because she's the champ. She has the belt. And the tiers that that we've seen in the past with pay-per-view points, right? You know, one dollar for uh, I think it's up to 500k buys, and then two dollars up to a million, three three dollars per buy afterwards, right? That's that's a lot of money to an extent, but it's not. Again, they're they're not getting. $10 million per fight, like maybe a McGregor does, or or getting anything near boxing purses. So when people make a meme or, or a joke and say like, oh yeah, like 
then you go and illegally stream. Yeah, you know what? That's fine. That that is not a hypocrisy. That that you're trying to point you're trying to point out some hypocrisy. That's not the hypocrisy. Because you could support fighter pay and then illegally stream a pay-per-view and you have affected the majority of fighters other than champions and the, you know, occasional McGregor or Diaz or who have you. That's that's the only fighters affected in that scenario. That's it. So you technically affect them, yes, but you're you're not it's not this notion of oh we're hurting the UFC's budget and so then they're gonna have to that's why they have to pay fighters less is because too many people are illegally streaming. No, that is a narrative. A narrative. Dana, I'm pretty sure, doesn't give a flying F about streamers. He does it for the publicity and probably to make ESPN happy. But the UFC, no, they're they're fine. They're completely fine. So again, just to reiterate, and I'm not saying go illegally stream. That that's important that I, that I clarify that. I'm not this is not a a kind of pass on like, hey, you have my blessing to go illegally stream. No, I'm not saying that. Because I do think people like Nunez and other champions do deserve the pay. And I do think you know, from a business perspective, it's the right thing to do, moral, moral right thing to do as a consumer. But it is not, illegal streaming is not why fighters are getting paid less money. It's what it comes down to. And if you think that, go back and watch or listen to everything I just said. Because it it doesn't add up. It just, it's, it's not why the UFC keeps fighter coming. It is not even a drop in the bucket. All right, a couple of brief things I want to touch on real quickly here um, before we wrap up today. Verdict MMA. MMA fantasy app where you you know bet experience, you, you vote official, um, of, official fantasy app of the PFL, closed their seed round of funding for $500,000, uh, had people like Askren, a couple other people involved in that. I, my computer, of course, is froze, so I can't see it right now, but um, had, had several people leading the way there. It's a good, good raise for a startup like that. And it's an app that I personally have, I have looked at and used once or twice, I think, just to kind of check it out. But um, I, I don't regularly do pick them stuff. So, I'm not surprised that they are getting the traction they're getting, though. There are out there as well. Uh, I think Fanatics is another. James Lynch and um, our boy JHK does do does a show through, and, and they sponsor a bunch of stuff. There's a couple other I've, others I'm missing too. I know, uh, but those are the two bigger ones. But this is a space that has long been ripe for the picking, right? Um, UFC used to do an official pick'em contest on their website and i believe when it shut down it had like a hundred some thousand users people love to do fantasy anything they love fantasy sports it's a huge i mean that's how DraftKings made all their money (laughs) 
It's it's a huge, huge market. And while DraftKings does, you know, daily fantasy stuff, this is about as close as you can get to a type of league type thing or a, a an, an ongoing series that adds up when it comes to MMA. Um, there are some other versions out there, which, you know, I've seen people run spreadsheets and, and picking fighters over the length of a year and things like that. Sure, but, you know, MMA is not like a traditional sport with a season or a a particular group where you can, you can kind of do this. So it, it makes a lot of sense that they've gotten this traction and attention, especially after inking the deal with PFL. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see more of advertisements through verdict which they may sign deals in other with other promotions depending on how big they get and once their deal with pfl expires because i'm assuming that's exclusive um but i don't be shocked if you start seeing more fantasy mma apps whether that's pick'em leagues or some or, or things with experience like what verdict does it's 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 a space that's been open for a long time now and makes a lot of sense for somebody to go after. So um, it's, you know, long time coming for those guys at Verdict. Um, I've I've tried to get the Verdict guys on here to um, have an interview before, but they were a little bit smaller. I didn't think they, I, I think they were trying to kind of keep it under wraps. They didn't want to draw too much attention to themselves, which is a good strategy, right? You stay under the radar of your competitors. I, I don't blame them for that, uh, but I, I may reach back out to see if they wanted to to come on and talk at some other time, but it, it makes sense and hats off to them. I, expect more fantasy apps though. I would not be shocked if new ones start popping up. I've already seen one or two. I would expect that more people will get into the space because it is a very underserved market. And I think there's a lot of potential of a lot of different products you could deliver with unique advantages or unique aspects that could give you a competitive competitive advantage. So yeah, fantasy MMA is going to grow. That's pretty much what this signals to me. There you have it. Last thing I want to touch on is Dana White confirming what we already kind of suspected from last week's podcast, where Cyril Gone versus Derek Lewis is a business move. Dana White, in an, basically in, in several interviews, over the course of this week, when asked about why the interim heavyweight title fight was made, he said, you know, we run a business and we needed to go and do this and, and we needed to do that fight in Houston. There you have it. it. It's what I've been harping on here long before last week's show where the UFC will will book whatever makes business sense. Doesn't matter what the matchup is. I think my favorite that I, I was using lately and that I'm still semi-using is Paul Felder versus, you know, Dom Cruz or John Anik. They, they will put that as the main event if it makes business sense. That's why they do what they do. That's how they've made a lot of their money. They look through it through a business lens. And we talked about Hunter's involvement, right? Chief business officer and, and what he does for the UFC it's all about business. So, yeah, we, we've we've gone over that enough in detail about 
the the you know if, if you didn't see that episode last week, go ahead and check it out. But we've covered that at, at great length, so I'm not going to go dive back into that. But Dana White pretty much confirmed it this week. Go back and listen to some of the interviews he's had during this fight week where he's asked that question. He makes it explicitly clear it was a business decision to do the interim title fight. And then he goes on to say, they're the best two guys in the world. It makes all the sense, Paul. Right, right. Listen to the part where he says, this is, we're running a business and this was the fight we needed to make in Houston. That's all you need to hear. Anything after that is bravado, is him, you know, doing his job, being a promoter. But that's really the key. He, he pretty much admits and confirms what we talked about last time. So there you have it. It's all about business. All right. So obviously we've got a major fight upon us this week at UFC 264. So it's time to do a little UFC 264 pay-per-view by prediction. Right? I think that... Hmm... And I forgot to do this in the intro. I just spitball in here. So I do apologize. I slipped my mind. Um, I'm not going to take too long on this one. But I think this does seem to have a lot more hype going into it than the last Connor pay-per-view, especially with the full fans there. Um, a lot more people watching all of this. I'm going to say... I'm going to say that this one does 1.4 million. I believe the last one did 1.3 million. I think this will do slightly better. I don't think it's going to do that much better. I would normally guess that it's going to be a little bit worse again because as things have opened up more, people are doing stuff. It's the summer. But I feel like this has enough gravity to it and... You know, we just had 4th of July weekend with a lot of parties going on and everything. I feel like a lot of people will will watch this in bars and stuff. Yes, I imagine that will happen. But I feel like a lot of people will also may be willing to kind of just have house parties and buy the pay-per-view and do whatever, at least in the U.S. You're just coming off of a major holiday weekend. I I think it makes a lot of sense that you don't necessarily have the same bump because the pandemic restrictions have lifted. I'm going to go 1.4. It feels bigger too. I get the sense that it just feels a little bit bigger than last time. So I'm going to go 1.4 for this one. 1.4 million. Uh, we'll see if we get the numbers. I'm assuming we will because it is a... But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to go 1.4 million here. And that might even be a little bit low. But I that's, that's what I'm kind of gauging here. I'm thinking 1.4 million. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for watching and listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you're on Podcast Addict, Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, what have you, love you guys. Appreciate you listening. If you're on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button if you haven't already. Bell notification if you haven't done that already. If you have, love you so much. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, feel free to leave any comments on the YouTube about anything I've gone over. Does the crypto sponsorship, as I explained, it makes sense? Does, you know, the pay-per-view versus online streaming aspect make sense? And does your perception match mine? Are you seeing a lot of people saying stuff like that as well? Where 
uh, on the average social media user or the average UFC fan, do you believe what I'm seeing where a lot of people are saying, oh, okay, if, if you legally stream, that, that hurts the fighter pay. Is that the perception you get? Let me know. Let me know your thoughts and feelings on all of this. Pay-per-view buys for UFC 264. Do you think it's 1.4 mil? You think it'll be higher, lower? It's always a fun game. Let me know on that one. That's a big one. Um, yeah. Any questions or comments, you know where to find me on Twitter, on Instagram. I haven't been on Instagram in a long time. If you hit me up on there, I apologize. I will go check that after this. Uh, but, you know, let me know. And as always, have a fun fight weekend. Get money. Mm-hmm.